We are in 1 Peter, so I'm going to pray in a moment, but if you'll open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, that's where we are. There are outlines on the table in front of you, pens if you need one, and uh, we are looking at 1 Peter, a letter to those who suffer, as Peter addresses this epistle to uh, followers of Christ who are suffering and are scattered uh, all over the, the, the Roman Empire. All right. Um, today, did you know that when we meet next Wednesday, it'll be the last day of July? Um, my sister won't vouch for much that I say, <clears throat> but she will vouch for this one because I know she heard it. Um, and I've said it to you before, my mother said, the older you get, the faster time goes. And I always thought when I was young, I knew better than to sass my mother, but I knew, I thought that was probably the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard in all my life. Well, now that I am the age that she was when she said that multiple times, I would say, mom, you were right. Time does go faster the older you get, and you can't stop it, you can't slow it down, you just have to go with it. That's all you can do. So, having chased that rabbit to its extremity, it will be the last day of July, meaning that uh, summer is rapidly moving along. School starts next month. My goodness. Who can believe it? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, beautiful, beautiful day that you've given us. We are grateful. Uh, we know what the temperature usually is here in July, and we're grateful that it is much cooler than normal. What a blessing. We're very, very grateful. We thank you for the good food. Use it to strengthen our bodies. Thank you for the sweet fellowship, and thank you for the privilege of uh, studying your word. I pray that you will bless us now as we continue our study of Peter's first epistle. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we are at verse 8 of chapter 3, so what I'd like to do is read verses 8 through 17, then we'll discuss them. We actually, I think, did a smidgen last week of these verses, but let's see what they say. Verse 8 of chapter 3. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to do this... You were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And we'll stop right there. Now, um, there is a shift in language in this, uh, this particular verse that we will see carry all the way through the end of the epistle. There is far greater, a far greater focus on suffering now 
and through the end of the epistle than there was at the beginning, though we know from the beginning that the entire epistle is written to people who are suffering. But the emphasis is ramped up a bit from this point forward. And if we are facing suffering, and all of you have some shape, form, or fashion, uh, you've been through suffering. It may have been physical illness, uh, maybe the loss of a loved one, maybe the loss of a job, uh, maybe something that your spouse is going through or a child. All of us have been there, and some of you may have even suffered because of your stand for Christ, your distinctiveness as as a believer. And we understand that this is written with a primary focus to those who are suffering for the cause of Christ, but suffering takes many different forms. And so this is intended to encourage people who are facing suffering. And you've been there, you know, when you're suffering, what you need is some encouragement. And that's what Peter is offering here. Now, in verse 8, he gives us the marks of the Christian with a common focus on Jesus. He encourages us to be sympathetic toward one another, particularly as we suffer, and to show compassion and to be humble, to exhibit humility. In verse 9, he, he states our, our distinctiveness because this is contrary to human nature. This is contrary to what we reflexively do. And he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, reply, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Somebody needs to send that verse to Congress, but I digress. Oh, but I remember this epistle is written to Christians, so don't worry with sending it to Congress. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> that was terrible. Okay. Uh, here are the distinctive marks of a Christian. Uh, common focus on Jesus, really distinctive. Bless those who persecute us. Wow. That's easy to do, isn't it? No, it isn't. It's contrary to our sin nature. And yet that's exactly what Peter encourages us to do. And we know that the only way we can do that is in dependence on Christ, the Holy Spirit. And he will never ask us to do anything that he does not give us the strength and the power to do. So everything that's here, we are able to do. So here's a, it, this is a calling from God. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. That's a calling from God. And he says at the end of the verse that you may inherit a blessing. So there is a promise attached to this behavior. So that, that lifts us up and encourages us even more. The Holy Spirit will empower us to do this, and there is a reward. What, what's the reward? Well, on purpose, he doesn't say. So it, it can be any kind of reward from the Lord. But just understand, when you read this text, God is aware. He knows what we're doing. He knows where we are, and he knows when we repay evil with blessing. He sees it. And in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we will be blessed for that kind of action. So to the, as we encounter the unjust ruler or the harsh employer or the difficult husband or the difficult wife, I want to be fair, uh, the unkind neighbor, whoever it may be, 
Here is our marching order for our behavior. Now, when he comes to verses 10 through 12, he makes an appeal to us, to the first century readers, from the 34th Psalm, written by David when he was under great duress. You'll remember David was anointed by Samuel, but actually did not become king immediately. He was haunted and hunted by King Saul. And in the midst of all that David was experiencing, he writes this 34th Psalm, part of which is quoted by Peter. And in the very first verse of the 34th Psalm, here's what David says. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. That's a pretty good introduction to the psalm. Written by one who is being chased as the king seeks to kill him. And in in spite of that, David focuses on the Lord and I will worship you. I will extol you. I will exalt you at all times. And when I read that first verse, knowing the context, when I read that first verse... Um, I inserted in my notes the word wow, W-O-W, exclamation point. I, I don't know what else to say about a verse like that. Knowing the context of what David was facing and being chased and hounded, Saul seeking to kill him, that David would respond with the kind of psalm that we read in, in chapter 34 is, is, is a wow. Now, David submitted himself to God's timing David knew he's going to be king. God, He's anointed by Samuel. God's promised you're going to be king. But David didn't try to short-circuit the process. He did everything possible to honor the king, did everything possible to preserve the life of Saul, and waited on God's timing to lift him up to the throne of Israel. What David was going through was dangerous. What David was experiencing was unfair. But David trusts And Peter points to it in this text to support the point he has been making on submission, suffering, and blessing. So he's not just pulling Psalm 34 out of the air for no good reason. He is quoting it to support his point that we should be submissive, that we should should embrace suffering, and that we should then anticipate God's blessing upon our lives. Twice... While we're thinking of David, twice David could have killed Saul, but he didn't. Let me refer you, first of all, to 1 Samuel chapter 24, beginning with verse 16. The first time David spared um, Saul's life. And at the end of this experience, it says, when David finished saying this, Saul asked, so in other words, David says, I could have killed you, I didn't. Why are you chasing me? Why are you doing to me what you're doing to me? So when he finished saying this, Saul said, is that your voice, David, my son? And Saul wept aloud. It means he sobbed. It's not just a gentle little, I mean, he's sobbing aloud. And then he says to David, you are more righteous than I. Isn't that amazing? Saul knew. You're more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. 
When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you have treated me today. God did reward David well. And yet in spite of all that, Saul didn't stop trying to kill him. Isn't that amazing? Now, in the 26th chapter, David has another chance to kill Saul and doesn't do it. We come to the end of that story in 1 Samuel 26, beginning of verse 23. David says, the Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you, Saul, into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. Saul knew, didn't he? Saul knew. So uh, this look at the Old Testament is intended to encourage first century suffering Christians. Be encouraged in the midst of suffering. So we press on. We come to verse 13 through the end of the section, and, and he talks about fear and blessing, and what Peter says to those suffering believers is, do not fear man. Do not fear man. What's the worst man can do to you? He can kill you. What happens to you if he does? The presence of the Lord. Not a bad exchange. Do not fear man. Rather... Fear God. Honor God. And God will bless. And I love verse 15. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. How do you prepare to give an answer to everyone who... How do you, how do, you do that? You got to go to seminary. I mean, is that a requirement? What? What? What are you pointing at? The word, A plus. Way to go, Jim. The word of God. Know and read the word of God. Then, who is it important that you spend time talking to? Not good English, but you get my gist. Who, who do you, Who do you spend time with? That's what you do to be prepared to give an answer is you, you read scripture and you pray. And when the time comes, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Now, how many times have I said, and perhaps you have joined with me in saying this. Oh, I just, I don't know what to say. Um, I, I don't, so I just, not, I'm not going to say anything. In regard to giving a witness for Christ, I, you know, I'm, you know, I haven't been through, I've only been through 14 evangelism classes. I'm sure you've got to have at least 15 in order to know how to say anything. No, that's, that's not correct. Now, good to go through an evangelism class. That's great, but it's not required in order to know what to say. What is required is to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Having read the word and having prayed, then listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 17, look at that verse. 
For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Good. Um, wow. I want you to think about that. Now, those of you who've been listening to me teach for a while, in order to make that verse part of your fiber and of who you are, you've got to take the long view, the eternal view, which leads me to what I'm going to do on the board, and I bet some of you remember, what am I about to put on the board? A dot. The infamous dot. That's your lifespan right there. In light of eternity. Eternity past. All the way back there. Eternity past. Eternity future. All the way out there. And of course, this is not to scale. If it were to scale, you wouldn't be able to see the dot. And the line would go through that wall and through the other building and on out past Main Street. This is our lifespan. Now, that's important lifespan because it's your lifespan. So it's important. But in order to do what Peter is suggesting here, to suffer well, to embrace suffering, to not return evil for evil, you've got to, hate, you've got to take the long view and remember I'm only here for a little while, but I'll be there forever. So I'm really, you are really, we are really preparing for this. And to keep the eternal in mind helps us immensely deal with the present. It's when we lose sight of the eternal and think all there is is the present that things get out of whack. So remember the dot. Peter is saying God will vindicate your good behavior in a way that only God can do. So question, have you trusted him to save you? That's a a question for you to ponder and think. You don't have to answer out loud, but I hope the answer would be yes. Have you trusted him to save you? If you have then trust him in suffering. If he can save your soul, he can see you through any suffering that you face. I read, um, I think, three or four years ago, a statement that uh, John Piper made that really gripped my soul. And here's what he said. Christ suffered to accomplish salvation. We suffer to spread salvation. That makes sense? Never, ever, ever are you more watched and observed and listened to than when you suffer. When things are going well, you're in the midst of prosperity and good health and happy days. Quite frankly, a lot of people around you don't want to hear about it. to keep it to yourself. And most people would say, well, sure, you can live for Jesus when everything's going great. 
But it's when you suffer, when you hurt, when you're sick, when you've experienced loss, then people look and they watch. And when during those times you live for Christ, it makes an impact. People notice. So Peter reminds us of that and encourages us in the midst of suffering. So if you're there today, be encouraged. If you're not there today, you will be there sometime. Be encouraged. And that's the desire of Peter from the writing of this epistle. All right. We're still doing good on time. Let's look at verse 18 through 22. I've entitled this section, Christ's Victory, Our Victory. Christ's Victory, Our Victory. Look at verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ also suffered... Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So don't get confused in these verses about baptism. We'll review that momentarily. Who has... Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, Peter's main idea in these verses is about the victorious Christ. You'll find a lot of commentators who uh, miss that fact because they'll spend 400 pages trying to explain about Jesus making proclamation to the imprisoned spirits and they say almost nothing about the victorious Jesus. So don't get waylaid major on the majors, okay? Major on the majors. Now, here he's reminding us Jesus was vindicated, crucified, still dead in a tomb somewhere in Israel, right? Absolutely not. Vindicated because crucified, buried, and arose. And he sits now in heaven victorious. He died and arose. He was made alive. He's gone into heaven, verse 22 tells us. And so in this passage, we focus on the triumphant Christ. With the sure and certain knowledge, take heart, you too are victorious. Take heart, you too are victorious. See your final destiny. It's a message of encouragement. The faithful will get through the waters of this life. Everyone in Christ will be left standing in the last day. So be encouraged. Now, having said that, what in the world do we do with verses 19, 20, and 21? What do they mean? I think I quoted Luther last week, one of my heroes of the faith, and here's what Martin Luther wrote about this text. Now, now, 
I, I know I should know how many books Luther wrote, but I, I forgot. But uh, he's written enough books to uh, fill up our library. A um, lot of theology, a lot of s- deep study of the Word of God. So, so Luther was a learned, a learned theologian. Here's what he said about the text. Verse 19, 20, 21. A wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament. So that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. I cannot, I cannot understand and I cannot explain it. And there has been no one who has explained it. <laughs> um, no one would ever accuse Luther of uh, abject humility. He he could he could boast with the best of them. So he wants you to know if he doesn't understand it, there's nobody else who understands it either. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not going to say I don't understand it, and then say, but uh, that get that theologian over there does understand it. He's not going to do that. Okay. If Luther didn't understand it, then how in the world am I going to understand it? Now at this point, Dr. Leroy Kemp will come up here and explain this passage for us. And if he would rather pass it on to Dr. Wallace Davis, when they will call one of those two guys up here. Now, verse 19, after the resurrection, but before the glorification. How do we know that? Read the text. After being made alive, Jesus, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. He preached and he goes on and elaborates. He preaches to the fallen angels, the fallen beings of Genesis chapter 6. And proclaims to them the victory that is his. The, not the victory that's theirs, too late for them. But the victory that is his, the vindication that is his, the victory that is in Christ Jesus. He lets us know that Noah and his family alone were saved through the water, through the flood. And that water symbolizes baptism or the immersion in the spirit. Because he goes on then to talk about having a clear conscience, not talk, not dirt removed from the body, not that kind of baptism, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God that comes because you've been washed clean in Jesus. So he says clearly in the last phrase of chapter 21, verse 21, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So lest anybody's looking at this and saying, baptism saves us? No, no, no. We're saved by the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he declares his vindication and his triumph in verse 22. And that's all you're going to get because that's all I know. All right, we're moving on. Chapter 4. Oh, I've got time to read the text and maybe say a word. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Do you know this is the next to last chapter? Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, 
What does that mean? It refers to what came before. So on the basis of what Peter wrote in chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. I think it's sinking in on me now what that means. You, you, you getting it? Suffering Jesus, and I have to have the same attitude? Exactly. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. I become sinless. And that's not what he's saying, but we'll find out what he's saying in a minute. Verse 2. As a result... They do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Um, Carol, I figure there's at least 25 sermons in that text. What do you think? At least 25, maybe 30. That's a powerful text. Jesus embraced suffering. He didn't run. He embraced suffering. Aren't you thankful? He knew what lay before him. The agony of the cross. Physical, absolutely horrendous, horrific suffering. But what was worse than the physical suffering of the cross? The spiritual agony of bearing on his own innocent heart my sin and your sin and the sins of the world. In the garden, the suffering was so intense. The Garden of Gethsemane, remember the night in which he was betrayed, the night he was arrested, the suffering was so intense. What happened to Jesus' body? He sweat as it were great drops of blood. Hemotidrosis, I think physicians call it. Um, where someone is under such duress that they, the capillaries, I don't know all the right terms, but b- blood comes out. Not anything any of us want to experience. So we, like Christ, are to embrace what comes to us. That's what he's saying. Wait a minute. That's not what we want to do. Now, he doesn't say chase suffering down the street and, and catch it. He's just saying it's coming, and when it comes, have the same attitude as Christ and embrace suffering. Does that mean you have to be happy that suffering has come? He didn't say that either. But we embrace it and we respond as he has said repeatedly in First Peter, we respond as Jesus responded. Because 
He showed us the way and traveled the way and died for us. And we are to embrace that suffering. Now, that is really contra our human nature, but we're going to, we're going to look at it some more next week as we continue in these, in these verses. Um, let me, let me refer you back to chapter three, verse 18, and then we'll stop. Verse 18, the, one of the great verses in the, in the Bible. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Get the implication of that? He did that to bring you and me to God. I only know how to spell that one way. L-O-V-E. What love the Savior has for us. But God demonstrated His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Okay, on the last day of July, we will pick up right there and zip on toward the end of the epistle. Father... These verses are verses we have to ponder. To embrace suffering is contrary to everything that is uh, human in us. It's not our reflexive reaction. But I pray that when suffering comes, and it has and it will, that we will embrace that suffering as Jesus embraced suffering for us. Realizing that as we embrace that suffering and respond scripturally, we will set an example that will help the gospel of Jesus Christ to spread to others. And so in the midst of that incredible truth and that incredible mystery, I pray that you will help us today to be the men and women that you want us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next time.